This is Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. It's new people, new policies, and pros for today's women on the move. Today's military millennials are today's military leaders. The U.S. Department of the Army reports that 82% of its members are of the millennial generation. In today's episode of Millennials in Command, you will meet the first woman and the first African-American to command the Army New England Recruiting Battalion. And now here's your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. Welcome to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. It is the award-winning podcast for today's Women on the Move, and I am your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. America's military millennials represent the youngest and newest generation of military leaders. The average age of today's military enlisted members is 27 years of age, and the average age of military officers is 34 years of age. Millennials are now solidly in military leadership, and they are shaping values and impacting organizational functioning. We are simply elated to have a front row seat to observe and convey the growing influence of today's military millennial women who are growing in stature as women in legendary leadership. In today's episode of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, I am looking forward to a delightful conversation, and it is a bit of a reunion with today's special guest, who is a longtime friend to Women Veterans Rock. She is Lieutenant Colonel Natasha Sunday Clark, the newest commander of the New England Recruiting Battalion. She is both the first woman and African-American to lead New England's Recruiting Battalion. So stay tuned and meet our special guest, Commander Natasha Clark, as we welcome her after this short break. We thank Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, a national enduring partner of Women Veterans Rock for their longtime support and for their shared vision of service, inclusion, and equality. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, we want to thank our sponsors, Comcast NBC Universal Military and Veterans Affairs for their support of women veterans, military families in the production of Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. It's our 12th anniversary and we're celebrating all of our national and community partners as we work together in building a pipeline of equality in public service, business leadership, and civic engagement for today's women and girls on the move. Good afternoon, Commander Natasha Clark. Good afternoon. How are you today, ma'am? I am well, and thank you for asking. We are excited to welcome you to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today so that we can have an opportunity to catch up and talk about the recent career moves that you have made. And I'm also interested in learning more about the many exciting things that you are doing in the women's community and the military community at large. So let's begin by picking up with some of your recent career moves. The last time you and I had a chance to speak, you were preparing to deploy to Korea. So let's start there. 
So the last time we spoke, I departed to Korea, my family and I, in 2018. We stayed in Korea for three years. I had an opportunity to command the 194th Combat Sustainment Support Battalion for roughly 27 months. After completing that assignment, uh, I had an opportunity to be a speechwriter for one of the uh, generals there. Once that assignment was complete, I was selected to command again. And so now my family and I are living in the New England area where I am a commander of the uh, recruiting battalion for New England area, which is which encompasses Rhode Island, Southern Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Maine. Well, I have to congratulate you on your work that you've done um, while you were on deployment in Korea, um, getting your first command, being able to spend some time as a speechwriter with the general. But I'd like to find out, how was that experience for you in your first command when you deployed to Korea? It was great. I had an opportunity to command over a thousand plus soldiers, uh, 150 Korean national uh, employees and um, civilians. We had an opportunity to provide uh, supplies and transportation to the Korean Peninsula, one that was rewarding not only to the service members, but to the families as a whole. Uh, we did it in a time when COVID um, kicked off, still able to do it without losing um, anyone uh, during that time frame. And uh, it was really good. My family enjoyed the time there. Uh, we got a chance to even travel some before um, COVID kicked in. So got an opportunity to see uh, Jeju-do Island, um, took the kids to see uh, Tokyo and uh, Okinawa. So it was really nice while we were there. Well, that's fantastic to be able to have your family with you to explore and work and train in um, such a culturally different community. What were some of the cultural differences that you and your family had an opportunity to appreciate while you were in service in Korea? I will tell you, Deb, that uh, Korea is, is very different, um, a country that is very different um, from what we would see typically here in the United States. Um, it is my second tour in Korea. Uh, my mm -hmm. husband and I served there uh, back in 2006 to 2009. So that, mm -hmm. this is our, that was our second tour in Korea. Um, mm -hmm. Very safe country um, overall uh, um, in, in terms of um, just being able to go out um, and, and be amongst the community, um, mm -hmm. experiencing the different types of foods that they have, um, seeing the, the uh, traditional uh, sense and how the upbringing of the children, um, mm -hmm. allowing my kids to be able to learn a different language is something that I may not have been able to give them that opportunity early on. Mm -hmm. So that was offered to them with the, the day of school system. And I, I really appreciate them for that. The exposure to the different environments and just the exposure to other children from other, uh, from other nations. So it mm -hmm. wasn't just children from Korea. There were children from other third world countries there as well. And so uh, I really appreciated that. Well, that's exciting to hear because um, you have great children. They're bright and they're growing and they're learning. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just so glad that they had an opportunity to experience it, other cultures um, while they were old enough to appreciate it and still young enough to really absorb 
um, the differences and the similarities in being around people that were maybe so different from what they would have done if they were still in school at the States. Yes, ma'am. So you guys, um, when you finished your deployment in Korea, you went to New England, a beautiful part of the country. <laughs> your role there, Lieutenant Colonel, in terms of your command in New England. So New England is very different um, from where I'm from. I'm, I'm from the, the southern part of the country, from the south, um, but it's, it's beautiful. Um, mm. Water, so if you like seafood, that is definitely the place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so New England clam chowder, definitely. I, I, I love it there. My children love it there, so it's always good. My husband loves it there. What what I've noticed is that uh, no one place is the same. It is, it is definitely a melting pot. It's known for its uh, education. Um, mm-hmm. the, the educational system there is, is just is vast in nature. You have everything from Cambridge to Harvard to MIT. Uh, there in the area. And then it's known for sports. So if you're a New England Patriot fan, you know, we're the Patriot Battalion. You know, the Red Sox, uh, the Boston Celtics is, is there. Uh, they mm-hmm. have hockey there. Uh, it, it's all within that, that, that community. Um, there's never a dull moment uh, being mm-hmm. there and then being the commander for recruiting. And so uh, my job and, and my job of my team is to tell the Army story. We are responsible for uh, recruiting uh, people um, into the Army, active duty and reserve. And so we are charged with, you know, telling you those great things that we have to offer. The Army has over 150 different employment opportunities, some that people may not even know about. And so we find ways to get you in, you know. And so whether you want to do it full-time or part-time, we will find a way to get you in. That is, that is our goal. Um, to do that. And so we're constantly out and seeking um, ways to get people in. Um, and so we're there, you know, 24-7. <laughs> we're always on call. And so that's what my team is doing. So this is your second command. You yes, were ma'am. commander in, in Korea, and, and now you're in, in New England. And you mentioned the fact that no one place is the same. Talk to us a little bit about the similarities and the differences in your role as a commander when you were on deployment and your role as a commander in New England. Difference with a commander uh, in a four-deployed environment, I would uh, say for Korea, is that you are um, in that fishbowl. Um, it's not like you can just pick up and drive uh, to the next country. You know, you're going to fly, right? Mm-hmm. Um the difference here, you can drive to other places. One thing is command is command. You you are the leader. You are held responsible for those that are under your charge. Um, the the difference is uh, the type of command that I have now is that you know it is about the uh, the mission, the the vision, the, the the strategic messaging of wanting to bring people in who don't understand. Um, the Army's values and the structure and the discipline. And so now you're trying to convince uh, the average citizen why we do things the way that we do it. So it's before they come into the military. Versus the people that we receive in my other unit when I was a commander, they're all, they've already been into the military. They've already been indoctrinated. You know, they've already been to, you know, basic training. They've already seen the drill sergeants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're already getting them with some type of basic skill set. And so mm-hmm. now we're convincing people to come in to see what this will be like for them before, you know, they even put that boot strap on, you know, and lace up that boot strap. 
system. It is a difference. So in your role as leader, you're there to um, exercise and convey the mission and the vision and tell the Army story. Now, one thing that's striking is you said that there's over 150 different career opportunities within the Army. And as you tell that story, perhaps you can share with us what were some of the more surprising career opportunities that you discovered and maybe even still discovering in your role in the recruitment area of the U.S. Army? So I will tell you, just even um, being selected to be a recruiting battalion commander, coming into this role, mm-hmm. um, not knowing that there were um, assignments set aside for career counselors and guidance counselors. There mm-hmm. are jobs for that. There are jobs. Uh, set aside for uh, people to um, be test uh, pilots, uh, to uh, test out different types of foods, to be nutrition specialists. We we know that they're there. There are people set aside to do that full time. We mm-hmm. have firemen. We have uh, pilots. You know, mm-hmm. people know about it, but some don't know that you can do it full time. You can do it part time. We, mm-hmm. we have everything that is offered on the outside. We offer it on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, the educational opportunity was amazing. When I stepped into this role, I did not know that the Army offered so many educational opportunities out there for people to go to school straight out of high school, straight from the street, mm-hmm. even while you're in college. It, it was just mind-blowing. And I'm like, there is no reason why a person, if they want to go to school, they can. And mm-hmm. if they want to serve whether full-time or part-time, I mean, it's there. I'm really glad to hear the enthusiasm <laughs> in your voice as you talk about and draw parallels between the employment opportunities within the military and how they run parallel to so many vast opportunities in the civilian environment and how those individuals that are looking to further their careers when they're making uh, civilian decisions, it's, in, it's great to hear that they can uh, benefit from an, uh, educational opportunities within the Army to be able to help them pursue that. As you may know, we have uh, JROTC cadet girls, and some of them have made a decision to go into uh, military service. And one recently that I may have spoken with you about, mm-hmm. she, in the U.S. Army, her career choice was Seaburn, and mm-hmm. I hadn't heard a lot about Seaburn. So maybe you could talk a bit about when we say Seaburn, because we're doing a lot of activities and programs around STEM, and it's so exciting to hear that our our Generation Z of recruits are looking for things like STEM and other technologies. So perhaps talk about some of those careers. Yes, ma'am. So Seaburn so is the chemical, biological radiological, nuclear, and engineer. It's, it's our chemical department, uh, 74th in that mm-hmm. arena. If she was to ever decide to go to Korea, they would be really popular over there because they do a <laughs> lot of training over there. I just want to put a plug in. Um, I One of my battle buddies, we call them battle buddies when we train together. Um, that was what she did, um, and she did it really well. It is a really great opportunity. It is one of the STEM opportunities. It is one of the, um, I wouldn't say one of the toughest assignments, but it is a tough assignment and it's one that she can learn from. There are so many different pockets of it that she can do. I mean, that's that's six to eight different types of fields just Mm -hmm. within that arena, you know. So I, I, I applaud her for wanting to do that. 
that is another aspect with recruiting. We partner with the junior ROTC and the senior ROTC um, departments in the local areas. And, you know, to be able to not just saying, hey, we want to recruit you so you can go into the military. So whether you decide to go into the military or just want to further your education, we're just there to offer, you know, that training and that discipline and that structure in those children's lives or those young men and women's lives. You know, so I, I applaud her for doing that. And we can't recruit you from outside the area, too. So even if we're not in your area, we can recruit you from outside the area. That's a plug, too. Thank you for uh, saying those statements about JROTC and uh, Senior ROTC, because when we started working with uh, cadet girls, initially many people assumed that ROTC is a program to recruit people into the military. And on a junior level, it really is a program for youngsters that are in high school, particularly in um, limited income communities, urban communities, and all communities, Mm -hmm. frankly, to have Mm -hmm. an opportunity to begin to build character and discipline and the whole thing about building really solid, strong citizens. And that's the reason why we love and support the ROTC program. And it gives girls that are in, have an interest in going into career fields that they are underrepresented, it gives them so many opportunities, like Seaburn, for example. Mm-hmm. So what I would say, um, Deb, is that our um, the training and doctrine commander and our um, United States um, recruiting commander, both mm-hmm. of them commanding teams, um, they have taken a charge at uh, aiming towards our um, historically black college and universities and mm-hmm. our inner city uh, communities, um, the urban communities, to really uh, do a, a big dive and a push um, to try and reach uh, those, com- to try and reach the communities, to try and reach the homes, to try and reach the families. And mm-hmm. so um, we're even doing it now. Uh, I'm doing it with my team. Uh, mm-hmm to talk to them and say, hey, we need to get out there. We need to talk to the clergy, uh, talk to the YMCAs and the YWCAs. Because mm-hmm. those uh, people, they know, hey, there may be some people um, that need that extra push. They need a, um, a little more structure in their lives. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're, um, we're utilizing our CASAs, that's the civilian aid to the Secretary of the Army, to help mm-hmm. us with that, uh, school superintendents. Uh, and so just, uh, you know, college, un- um, university, um, professors and the, you know, uh, presidents of the schools, whatever we can do uh, to try and help uh, build this all-volunteer force. And so whether that's the Army, the Marines, the Coast Guard, the Navy, the Air Force, it's it's all of us. It's one team, one fight. Well, I love to hear you talk about this comprehensive approach at looking at connecting young lives to military service, because obviously we know and understand that this is honorable work, and it gives individuals, particularly young individuals, that are looking to make some decisions about their future career. And what you've talked about that your team is doing in terms of reaching out to the community, faith-based organization, service organization, is actually a great segue for us to talk about the many things that you're doing in your nonprofit, community-based work and service 
in the women's community and the military community. So let's just shift gears ever so slightly, because there's a lot of different dimensions to Commander Natasha Clark, a lot of stuff in terms of community engagement. So talk to us a bit about some of the exciting things that you're doing on that front. Okay. Uh, yes, ma'am. I am, so as you know, you and I, we met through one of my nonprofit organizations, um, Beta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, whew, some years ago. Um, and so getting an opportunity to collaborate with the Women Veterans Rock was uh, a phenomenon um, because we were incorporating having a military advisory board. And, you know, it was really great to be able to partner with your um, organization where you help women and veterans and children, you know, um, across the globe. And that's, and that's something that we do. Um, it is one of our, it's one of our principles. Um, so, you know, Zeta is near and dear to my heart. I am uh, elder in the churches that I serve in. I sit on the board of elders. I um, am a part of the Rocks uh, Incorporated. It is one of the um, mentorship organizations um, that was started um, through the military, uh, initially started for uh, African-American officers, which is now expanded to just uh, helping officers. What I've done is I just look to mentor all, regardless mm-hmm. if you're an officer or not, regardless of race, um, you know, gender. I, for me, it doesn't matter. I love to mentor. I love to give back. I love to coach and teach. And so that's what I do. Um, mm-hmm. My biggest thing now is I, um, I, I now started partnering people with others because I say one day I'll take this uniform off, but I want to be able to, you know, leave a legacy. And so I, I've been partnering people with other people. I'm like, hey, it's now time for you to carry that torch. Um, I'm a member of the Military Mentors, uh, started by um, Omar Armstrong and um, Chabeso Cook, Dr. Chabeso Cook. Um, it is an organization uh, tied to helping those that serve in the military and those that serve uh, with the military, teaching us how to be better mentors. Um um, and it's a really great organization. I was a part of cohort number three and teaching us how to write, which mm-hmm. uh, in turn helped me to do my first collaboration with writing with uh, one of our past international presidents with Zetas with a uh, first book that came out and was published. It hit the Amazon bestseller within like three hours um, called Pivot. And so mm-hmm. um, with Dr. Tiart, um, Jilla Tiart. So I was really excited about that. So I do a lot. Um, on top of being a wife um, and a mother. So, yes, ma'am, pretty busy. I have to um, thank you for your role in Women Veterans Rock and Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated and our connection. And as you know and many of our listeners know, Zeta Phi Beta Incorporated, uh, Sorority Incorporated, made a very strategic and thoughtful and mm-hmm forward-thinking decision by becoming one of the first Greek letter sororities or Mm -hmm. actually letter organizations in a country to partner with a national enduring relationship with an organization that was dedicated to military women, military girls, and military families. And so Mm -hmm. you being a part of that, help me understand and help our listeners understand what was the strategy behind saying we need to connect 
our community-based social service organization to an organization that's reaching out and supporting military women and military families. What was the rationale behind that decision? Well, Veda Barbados Sorority Incorporated, our motto is um, Community Conscious Action-Oriented Organization. And at the time, we um, had um, our military advisory board um, started as under uh, past international president, uh, Dr. Mary Burrow Wright. Uh, we've taken a, a, a vision to her, uh, myself, and our current international president, uh, Valerie Hollingsworth Baker. And, and we had taken this um, idea to her by uh, Dr. Janine K. Smith, who's a longtime friend of mine and also a retired first sergeant in the Army. And she had brought your organization to me. And we sat down and we looked at it, and I was like, wow, this is it, you know. And um, they're, you know, just starting up. And, you know, hey, we'll be going into our our centennial year. You know, this will be great. And I'm like, hey, how can we capitalize on this? And how can we get the sorority behind this? And so this was it. And so, you know, if I'm going to put an idea out there, I'm like, hey, hey, you know me. And so we, just, <laughs> we, we put it out there. And the sorority just, not only did they say yes to it, I mean, they all banded together. Um, and they, they made pins. And um, they went above and beyond. Um, it wasn't even just about the donations. It was the love and the support for mm-hmm. the Women's Veterans Rocks to even supporting on the Hill, um, Sora Krista Jones, um, going there, um, speaking and being an advocate for Women's Veterans Rock. Um, Major General Retired Linda Singh um, mm-hmm. being an advocate for Women's Veterans Rock. And, and, you know, the list could just go on. Dr. Sorrell Herbin. And so it's just been profound to see um, from one conversation how uh, this has blossomed, you know. And so for me, you know, it means so much. Sometimes it only takes just that one seed and to watch as, you know, it's just if it gets watered. You only need someone to just water it that, and it just grows. And this has been blossoming and I'm happy. I have to commend you and um, um, your past international president, your current international president, your military advisory board at Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated for their, um, not only their national enduring partnership, but for their real commitment. And we've grown to appreciate your organization as a sister organization. And frankly, I said this to Grand Valerie Hollingsworth Baker many times, you guys are a mentor organization to us. We were there at the 100th centennial Mm -hmm. celebration and you continue to create this environment that allow, you talked about a seed, for us to be nurtured and to grow. And with your support and the support of your thousands and thousands of sorors, our organization has become very strong and sustainable in the work that we do in terms of civic leadership and civic engagement. And you made a statement about a legacy of leadership, and that, frankly, is one of the many mm-hmm. that our organization shares. And this legacy of leadership is really important, not only for the work that people like yourself do now, but also the legacy and the modeling and the role modeling that you do for our young cadet girls and our young cadet women. And so in your leadership role, you are working with uh, military millennials and Generation Mm -hmm. Z, 
and um, you guys are looking at all the new kinds of things that you are putting together in terms of leadership for women. So I'd just like for you to take a moment to see um, what kind of thoughts and nuggets of wisdom do you have for women that are in military families, women who are veterans, um, women who are looking to emerge as leaders in the climate of the culture and time that we live in today. So for me, if I always have, I think I've been growing a list and then I, I made my list uh, small and I look at things that I reflect upon and it would really be something very small. And I would say to any woman, uh, do a self-assessment of where you are today. Acknowledge what no longer serves you and where you need to grow. Be relevant and value added when you're in the room. And finally, when the microphone is passed to you, be prepared to sing. Wow. Let's see if we can pull, pull this apart. This is good stuff. So <laughs> point number one, take that point again. Do a self-assessment of where you are today. That's number yes. one. Now, when we number talk two. about doing a self-assessment, I have to <laughs> yes, tell you, Commander, that reminds me of some of my college classes yes. that I teach. First thing we start talking yes. about is doing a SWOT analysis. Do a and SWOT analysis. I say to my students, we talk about SWOT analysis in the context of economics and business, but not nearly enough in terms of ourselves and our careers. I like that point. Do a self-assessment. So what frequency do you think that we should be um, encouraging women to do a self-assessment? So for me, I have to do one daily. In the morning, I'll tell myself one thing. I may start thinking something else. And then in the evening, I'll do it. I'll do a self-assessment of how did the day actually go? Did it start off and end the same way, mm-hmm. or was it different? So I mm-hmm. I do a self-assessment daily. So let's talk about point number two: acknowledgement. Acknowledge what no longer serves you, and where you need to grow. And that could be where you are in life. That could be pertain to people. It could pertain to your career habits. So when we encourage people and advise them to acknowledge what no longer serves them, this is a passage of time that we're all going through that, frankly, we should be looking with some frequency at what serves us and what no longer serves us. And that's a word that you used earlier on, talk about pivot. When we're doing something that's not really um, serving us in in a beneficial, forward-leaning manner, that's the time time to move on. That's right. That's right. Yes, ma'am. Now, let's talk yes, about ma'am. relevancy. Be relevant and value added when you're in the room. Mm. I mm. have heard many women say, well, I never get a seat at the table or they won't let me in. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes when you're there, you don't have anything to say or you may not know what you're talking about. So when you're there, be relevant and be value added when you're in the room. Now, people may understand when you say be relevant. See if you can give some broader context to the term value added. Um, so for me, because I am in the military, I'm, uh, most most of my comments, and I, I can make them general in speaking. Take if you're in school and you're given, uh, there's a briefing on, let's say you're, you're doing a presentation and you didn't do your homework. But, you know, you you want to be a part of the discussion, but you know you didn't really do the research on it, but you still want to be there. And now the teacher's asking questions. Well, if you didn't do the homework, you're not going to be much value added. So you can't be a part of it. Uh, The same thing with someone that's in the military. Um, Well, they didn't let me, you know, be a part. They're not letting me 
sit at the table. They're not letting me. Well, but you don't know what you're talking about. You're keeping everyone else behind. Now you're not value added to the team now. You got to do your part. It has nothing to do with your gender. If you want people to not see you as just the woman, but to see you as the person that knows what they're talking about, be relevant and, and add value when you're there. And that lends itself to another military term that we often hear, and that's about readiness. And you have to be mentally, physically, academically, um, um, technically, whatever Mm -hmm. the intersection that you're at, you have to have a state of readiness so that you can be prepared to move forward. Preparation is key. So take us to that final point. So this one is one... um this is my one of my own little, finally, when the microphone is passed to you, be prepared to sing. <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone, uh, anyone that goes to a uh, Baptist church, you know how you normally would clap when someone sings, regardless if they sound great or not? Yes. Uh, that's not going to happen if you come to the Church of Clark. I need you to be prepared to sing. Uh, when the microphone is past you, meaning, uh, no, you know, be ready. Uh, it goes back to uh, be relevant. And so when you're there, when that microphone is past you, you are no longer Lady Clark. You know, they are no longer looking at you. It's, hey, Lieutenant Colonel Clark knows what she's talking about. And so when that microphone is passed to you, I'm about to blow it out of the water. I'm about to give you everything because I know exactly what I'm talking about. And you don't have to clap for me because I'm a woman. You're going to clap for me because I know exactly what I'm saying. I love it. I simply love it. And as I'm looking at you in terms of your leadership role, your role as a visionary, your role as an, uh, uh, and being able to execute the mission and how you are grounded as you are moving forward in building a legacy of leadership, you work with a lot of incoming Generation Z. They have a lot of dreams, they have a lot of hope, have a lot of idealistic views about their future. What is it like when you see these new recruits coming in, not just new, but a new generation? And then I'd like for you to talk a bit about how are you working to support and shape their minds as you lead them into a role of future leaders. So first of all, what is it like when you have these uh, new generations coming in under your command? Generation Z, it is one of the things that I was taught to go and read every book I can on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Generation Z, in my opinion, is the why generation. Why do I have to do this and why do I have to do that? I have Generation Z children. Um, (laughs) I, I do. But it is the understanding that we have to adapt to be able to understand where they are coming from. Even though uh, this is an all-volunteer force, uh, even though um, the nation is all-volunteer in terms of what we do, um, things are being handed to us, everything is just so open now. And if you can't have an open mind and if if you're not prepared to adapt to change, it's going to be really tough for you, regardless of whatever field you're in. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I'm talking to Generation Z, I, I try to understand them. Mm-hmm. So when they ask why, I, I will ask the why, too. Okay, well, help me understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, help me so that I can I can get a, a better understanding or become more equipped as to where you're coming from. 
Because what I want, I don't want to do is to become so narrow-minded and so focused on how I used to think because I was that person that thought that it should only be one way. I was there, um, and I had to uh, overcome a lot of uh, obstacles and a lot of a lot of ways in how I thought about things. As women of the millennial or Generation X, um, or Gen X generations, I'd like for you to help me understand. Um, the very best way that we can support and encourage their hopes. When they look at you, they see colonel, they see commander, and they may not understand at first glance that you were them. So what are some of the ways that you can encourage me, you can encourage our listeners on some of the best ways that we can get prepared to help them see that we are willing to nurture their hopes and their dreams. When you're talking, smile. Say thank you. You know, offer a, a helping hand. Don't be so quick uh, to judge and smile. That's just how I do. Um, there is no right or wrong way to do it. Just take those few moments to say thank you uh, and listen. Everybody wants someone to listen. Just listen. As you know, here at Women Veterans Rock, we recently launched the uh Women Veterans Rock 2030 Commission for Women Veterans and Military Families. And when we launched the 2030 Commission, our goal was to put together a strategic think tank of women much like yourself for us to look at ways in which we can um, prepare. I mean, our mission is to prepare a culturally competent vision of equality by year 2030 for women and girls in military families. And we feel that it is a topic that we want to continue to discuss about the importance of women and girls in military families to be engaged in the community at large so that we can continue to grow and support healthy families, healthy family units. And so are there any words of wisdom or thoughts that you have about this forward-leaning initiative about equality for women and girls in military families by year 2030? I would say that you have to start now with your drive and your determination. Because although it's 2030 and it seems like, oh, it's nine years away, um, that's not a long time. So that drive and determination has to start now. Just like the seed that was planted with the enduring partnership with Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated and Women Veterans Rock, you know, it started back then. You know, that driving determination needs to start now. Uh, the the potential, uh, if you see someone now and you see the potential in someone, start talking to those potential candidates now. Start advocating for others now um, so that, you know, you're not the only one in the room, but they can also be in the room, like we spoke about earlier, the decisions that are being made, you know, teaching those young women uh, how to communicate, how to write, you know, those things are effective. That's a lost art for so many because we're tech savvy. That generation Z that we talk about is so tech savvy, but that art of writing and effectively communicating is being lost amongst many. Uh, so that is something that I would say. So start now. Don't wait. It's time now. Well, I have to salute your international president because yes. Women Veterans Rock approached her last year about our 2030 commission 
Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated came on board with their support. International President Valerie Hollingsworth Baker was the first to say yes. And that takes us to this one closing point that I'd like for you to share with our listeners, and that is Z-Hope. And I Mm -hmm. believe our relationship falls under that philosophy. Share a bit of that with our listeners. Yes. The hope is Zeta's helping other people excel. So in closing, I am going to ask Lieutenant Colonel Natasha Clark if there's any final words that she would like to share with our listeners today. I would just like to say that the sky is the limit. Don't ever allow anyone to tell you no. If you dream it, if you think it, you can do it. I'm excited that I was able to be here. Thank you, Deb. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. For joining us here at Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast. This episode is sponsored in part by our longtime community partner, Chestnut Hill College. Chestnut Hill College is a certified yellow ribbon institution and a military-friendly college. It has a distinguished history of supporting America's student veterans, military families, and the community at large. We are proud to have this fine academic institution as one of our supporting community partners. Don't miss out. Join the podcast community. Subscribe to Women Veterans Rock on the Hill, the podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you stream your podcast today. Renew topics on Tuesdays with your host, Deborah Harmon Pugh. And there's one last thing before we go. The journey of upward mobility is exciting and invigorating, whether we are forging our own paths or following in the footsteps of those who have led before us, such as other trailblazers, innovators, explorers, and or disruptors. We must continue to push ourselves and to motivate others to push themselves to reach new heights in the military, new heights in business, and new heights in our overall journey of life. And in the words of Faye Waddleton, who is a former president and CEO of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, she was the youngest president to serve. She was the first African-American president to serve. And she was the first woman since Margaret Sanger to serve in the position of president of the organization. And she says, the only safe ship in a storm is true leadership. Now, Posse, take us home. <laughs>